This is the Canadian Passive and Active Real Estate Podcast, investing and wealth building with Connie Buna and Roland Kim. Hello, hello. Roland Kim here with Connie Buna. Hi, everyone. Today, we're going to talk to you about a number of things, and they're all going to be focused a little bit around the 20 things to remember on your path to buying an investment property. I know we've talked a little bit about this in the past, but it all starts with a big why. So Connie, can you refresh us? What is a big why? So a big why is, is you know, your driving force. It's something, typically, it's something bigger than, you know, I, I want a big stockpile of money. Yeah. It usually involves things like, you know, my purpose in life is to, you know, create an environment where I provide amazing housing to people in my community. That could be a big why for a real estate investor. My big why is to create a portfolio that provides me with enough passive income that I can spend more time with my family. So your big why is typically something bigger than just a financial goal Mm -hmm. and something that actually moves you to a place sometimes of discomfort. Definitely. In order to achieve your outcomes. Yeah, it's a thing that if you could hang up beside your bathroom mirror, get up in the morning, that reminds you why. Why you're about to put in the hard work and deal with the conflict and the challenges ahead. Absolutely. The second thing on the road to buying an investment property, if you're going to be an investor, is be a good human. Now, that sounds really obvious and simple, but... What I mean by that is not everyone's meant to be a landlord. Mm -hmm. And so being a good human in this sense, what I'm referring to is understand what your natural abilities, tendencies, and comforts are. And so being a landlord is kind of like take a teacher, take a counselor, take a principal and mix them all up together and then add in a nurse. Mm -hmm. And so if you don't have any of those skills... Um, you are going to be dealing with so many situations where things don't go the way you think they should. Things happen at the most inconvenient times Mm -hmm. and emotions are involved and your emotions often don't matter if Mm -hmm. you really want to solve the problem. And so I have put together some really good deals with certain clients that, um, you know, they were great buyers when they're buying their their home and, and seem like, you know, really professional, great people. But um, they they didn't have the natural skill sets to deal with the problems that come up being mm-hmm. a landlord. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they made erratic and what I would even say were like the wrong decisions with their tenants. And they, and they weren't, you know, thinking from the tenant's perspective and how to resolve things and go through the conflict and make the right decisions. Yes. You know, item number three I wanted to touch on is meteorocracy is often your biggest challenge on the path. Okay. And so that kind of speaks to the fact why, um, you know, you and I now have been in the business for more than 11 years. You know, we've been part of more than directly a thousand transactions between us. And during that time, when we were doing open houses, I've seen, you know, folks coming through an investment property we had listed five years ago, three years ago, and then a different property one year ago. And imagine they spent five years thinking about buying an investment property. And side note, each time I saw them, they were working with a different realtor. So, uh, you know, um, Mm. that's a different conversation, but they spent five years thinking about it. The market certainly didn't think about them. The market moved on. And it's often because they weren't able to make a decision and they were overthinking it. And meteorocracy, if you can't get out of that zone, is going to hold you behind. 
So, I mean, when we talk about mediocrity and we might be referring to also, maybe there's some like sort of apathy or, or lack of fire yes, or lack of hunger. There's also a fear of making decisions. There's lots of things that impact people from, you know, the expression, and I've said this to you, fortune favors the bold. Yes. Right. And that's, that's tried, tested and true. It's very, very obvious. And the truth of that kind of ethos is not that every bold step you take is going to be a step towards success. That's actually a fallacy. Mm -hmm. And if you look under the sheets of lots of successful people, what you'll find is actually many, many, many steps of failure that have assisted in growth and have assisted in elevation of spirit and path. We shared an analogy one time about that with every challenge, with every failure, with every no in your mind, you were saying to me, you shared with me that you regarded as a, sort of a crumpled up piece of paper that you stand on. And yep. every time that happens, you're actually getting taller. Yes. Building um, your foundation. Building your foundation. And I think the idea of mediocrity being a challenge, that also relates to, um, you know, there are some folks that, you know, they they know it all. They're not, they don't need any advice. Great. Those are certainly not clients I'm interested in connecting with. Um, and then there are clients that are like, you know, great things. We know great things. Let's work together and move forward. And so I think sometimes when I, and I've had that same experience where I've seen those same people come over <laughs> and over and over again. And you're like, oh my goodness, like the opportunity cost yeah. is immense. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's and a emotional very- time. They've thought about it, mm -hmm. right? The, the number of properties they must've looked at online and yeah. gone and visited. You know, what you just talked about is a really good, um, it's the transition into the, today is the most important day of your life. So making the wrong decision today is still better than making no decision today. Because yes. if you make seven days of decisions, one of them will be right. Yes. Right. And so I think that is, you know, it's, it's with planning, it's with having a big goal that you're working on. A lot of people say, you know, I'm going to start weight loss come January 1st yeah. and it might be October. And really, if they started on it in October, that day that they make the commitment, that's the most important day in your journey. So same with, with investing, like wherever you are today, if buying an investment property is important to you, figure out, you know, what needs to happen today in order to move the ball forward. Mm, great point. Next item I want to talk about is control is what you make it. And so what I mean by that is there's things that I can control or my clients can control and there's things that can't be controlled. And so often we spend not enough time maximizing what it is that we do control. Mm -hmm. And we really, you know, think about the things that we don't control too much. Okay. And it's inevitable that you waste time that way. Yes. And, and it delays you and it takes you off your, your goal, your yes. focus. Yes. And I think there's also something to be said too, that there's only so many things you actually can control. Yes. And I think that that actually ties very, very closely to that concept of mediocrity and also the concept of, you know, seizing the day, making steps and controlling what you can. Yes. Something like, for example, I have a goal of purchasing an investment property by the end of the year. I can make a decision to buy myself a new pair of shoes or I can make a decision to keep wearing the shoes I have and go get them resold and put that savings in a bank account and move me one step closer to my financial goal of, of purchasing that investment property or, you know, making good decisions and, and setting reminders so that I'm making sure that I'm making my credit card payments on time so that my credit score is not impacted. So that when I go to buy my investment property, I have done everything in my control to make sure that that's a smooth process. It's a really powerful point. 
Yeah, and it's often, it's not as if one decision is going to be the decision that allows it to happen or not. It's often the tiny little things leading up to it that, you know, either open the door or close the door on the opportunity. Yes. Yeah, so it makes it really difficult. And then the risk of skipping steps on the pathway. So I see, you know, I've come across investors that didn't do the research, might have, you know, been really, really attracted to buying that home that seemed at an incredible price with, um, you know, rent returns that were amazing. Mm -hmm. And they, you know, they bought something they weren't prepared for. Mm -hmm. They bought in an inner city in an area that they didn't like. That type of client, that type of experience doesn't sit well with them. It wasn't in their sweet zone. It was really like a terrible experience. Yes. And they just skipped too many steps going too quickly. Yes. And then that kind of leads into the next item, which is I always view every investment as a three-year plan. And three years allows you to, if you're lucky enough that, you know, the numbers and everything work out, you have great tenants rate from the beginning. It is awesome. If not, then when there are hiccups and there are things that are um, coming up that are challenges, you can solve them and you can, you know, standardize and solidify your, Mm -hmm. your investment. Mm -hmm. And usually after three years, you know, you've kind of taken control and Mm -hmm. things are running smoothly. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so, Anytime I have a client that's purchased an investment property and they're at a stage where, you know, they're showing some challenges and, and their frustration in, in where they're at, bringing them back to the fact that, you know, let's revisit this in three years and see how we've done allows them to kind of, you know, take a step back and not get so intense. Yes. Awesome. Uh, roadmap to success. Roadmap to success. So I, I guess it comes with planning. So that I would call that, you know, are you designing and drawing out everything that needs to happen? for the kind of strategy that you're applying for the kind of investment you want. Are you ready to build a stronger financial future, but don't know where to start? Connect with our advisors with Prometheus Private Advisory Group. We commit to understanding where you are financially today and where you want to be tomorrow. By providing you the knowledge, tools, and guidance through achievable objectives, we can help reach your financial goals quicker. For more information and a free consultation, email ben.chan at ppagroup.ca. A stronger financial future starts today. I'll pause you here because this is something that is very obviously a natural skill set of yours. You do have a particularly interesting way of thinking of and analyzing situations. And I'm not sure if that's something that is a natural skill set or if it was a learned skill set for you. How so? But just the way that you map things out, like the way that you look at things. I mean, if you could describe your process, I think that that would be really helpful for folks because I know that for myself personally, like we talk sometimes about concepts and ideas um, and I'm very good at brainstorming big pictures and, and big concepts. And where I really lean into your expertise and your skill set is you're great at taking those big concepts and then breaking them down. So would you say that that's that's a learned behavior or a learned skill set? Or is that something that is natural to you? I think the base of it is natural. So I can look at a problem or look at a, a goal. I can visualize the steps towards it from where we are today. Mm-hmm. Or how if, a, if it's a problem, the steps forward to get to a resolution. Mm-hmm. Where I'm constantly evolving that and feeding it is... Um, as I'm learning and listening to podcasts, reading books, I hear a nugget and I apply it. Okay. So the challenge for me is often when I'm going to a seminar or a learning opportunity, after I've picked up one or two nuggets, my mind checks, like wants to disengage 
because I, I want to go and apply it. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, the good part is I don't forget them. Yeah. I'm not the best listener. Yes. And so, you know, same thing with my wife, Jessica, when she brings up a problem, I already see in my mind what the solution is. And I, and, and I have to slow myself down from like giving it the appropriate amount of energy and time to talk about it. And often amazingly, like she brings up things that I didn't think about because mm-hmm. I only saw my pathway. Mm-hmm. But if you need a decisive, quick decision, I'm very good at that mm-hmm. with like, pretty good, you know, steps along the way. And the more time I invest into it, Mm -hmm. um, my roadmap gets clearer and more defined, but it all comes back to like, you know, if you can't see the steps between where you are and where you want to be, you got to put energy into that because it's not going to happen on its own. So I think this is a great, I'd love to just stay here a little moment longer. And I want to talk a little bit about for those folks who are out there who may have no investment properties, may have one or two. Let's talk about what a broad strokes roadmap looks like. So I would imagine step one is what's the current position Yeah, and where are we going? So I find this is similar in business planning. Like it's all fine and dandy to say, I want to make X number of dollars this year. Mm-hmm. And where most people fail is they don't understand the steps that they need to take to actually achieve that result. So it's not as simple as just saying, I want, you know, I want to own 10 investment properties. It's like, okay, I want to own 10 investment properties. And then you backtrack from there. In order to own 10 investment properties, I need to be able to fund how much in mortgages, how much in down payments. What is the map? I'm totally yeah, out no, of my depth. No, no it's, um, I think more like not focusing on the specifics, but more on what is the goal? And then are your decisions feeding into that goal? Because there's extremes in both ends. So let's say someone, you know, a couple has a goal of, you know, owning 10 investment properties yes. in their lifetime. And they buy one or two and they do their due diligence. They follow their system. And then, you know, they're 40 years old and they um, they want a place in Whistler mm-hmm. and they can barely afford it, but they can do it. And it, uh, they just don't revisit what their goal is. They convince themselves that it's the right move mm-hmm. and they end up buying Whistler and it changes their financial capacity. They're qualifying And although, you know, they might be happy with it, hopefully, they've completely derailed themselves based on the income they make and the type of investments they needed to buy in order to be on the path of buying 10 properties. And so they have stalled out. And unless something changes, they will never buy the 10 properties because they don't qualify for it anymore. Then the flip side of that, and I know clients that, um, you know, only had a goal of buying a few investment properties and and then having a nice retirement. Mm -hmm they got addicted to buying investment properties, almost a little bit to a detriment where I feel like they're living in very, um, you know, they're not utilizing their resources at the limelight of their career, mm-hmm. of their life. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they they have still dreams, but they aren't making those dreams a reality of like going on that vacation, buying that boat, you know, spending time with family, yes. spending some money, yes. because in a way they deviated off their roadmap. Their roadmap wasn't to buy 20 properties, it was to, you know, like you said, their big why at one time was to, you know, support a life and possibly pass something on, mm-hmm. but really support a great life. Mm-hmm. And and so they might be becoming, you know, too focused on the investment properties, too frugal because they're not clear on their roadmap anymore. Yeah, they've lost sight of that big why, yeah. which is, again, that super important and powerful driver and the reason why we get up and get out of bed in the morning. Thank you, partner. Due diligence. Yeah. So due diligence in investment properties really where, you know, it's often a short period of time, but it's where, you know, good decisions are made. 
and uh, bad decisions are hopefully avoided. Yes. And it kind of goes back, you know, simply because you say no to an opportunity doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad investment property or a bad opportunity, yeah. but based on your needs, based on your roadmap, it's not the right one for you. Right. And as simple as that would be, you know, if you have a strategy of buy and hold, you're a person that, you know, can come up with down payments, can finance the mortgage, and um, you want to buy a great investment and close it, do your due diligence, then close it, and then hand it off to a property manager. That's a plan. Yes. Now, if your realtor brought you uh, an amazing flip opportunity where you could buy, you know, a property for three hundred thousand and sell it for four fifty, five hundred, and you got excited and jumped on that, you often probably would regret it because it's not what you set out to do. Even though in the end you're going to make money, but that's not what was your priority. And the stress involved in that, you know, what I might refer to as sort of a quick play yeah. for real estate terms, that's that's a fast one. Yes. Even if at the end of the day, it's a one or two year difference between purchase and sale, that's pretty fast. All the stress in between might be, you know, diminishing to you, might, might zap you of your joy of why the heck did I do this in the first place? As opposed to somebody that goes in with, you know, fire in their eyes around that opportunity. And that was part of their roadmap. You know, they have a buy and hold strategy as well as an opportunity to renovate and improve and sell. It is interesting to to think about prioritizing those things and writing them out. And, you know, one of the things I think about too is engaging other people mm -hmm. who are your key partners and your key decision makers in your plan. You know, no person succeeds alone. And this is a true fact. And so are you engaging the right partners in these conversations early on, your, you know, your key mortgage partner, your key realtor partner, your partner, your life partner, mm -hmm. if you have one, or if you're a single person, you know, do you have a friend or an ally or a confidant that you share these details with that can help you again, analyze blind spots and, and make sure that the diligence is being correctly imposed. Yeah. And verifying the information you based your offer on to make sure that it is what you expected. Mm -hmm. And then the information that is different, there's always going to be something that's different, you know, approach it in a neutral process to make sure that you're comfortable with it. Yes. That the terms haven't changed so much or facts have come to light that makes you uncomfortable. Yes. Yeah. And this one's an interesting one. So finding motivated sellers. Early on in my career, I thought it felt kind of like you're taking advantage of someone. Predatory. Predatory. Yeah. And the longer I'm in the business, there's certainly, I guess, people out there that are predatory and that that's terrible. But what I'm referring to is um, there are sellers that for a, a number of reasons, whether, you know, to stay off um, foreclosure, to have a private sale that they don't want their neighbor to know they're selling. There's so many reasons why someone might be more motivated to sell a property for less than what is perceived as market value on the MLS. Mm -hmm. And so if you're a buyer, you know, that's a really good thing to work on. Mm -hmm. If you want to buy an investment property, learn how to find motivated sellers. Yes. And yeah, that it does take some time. Again, it goes back to the allied resources and um, knowing that you're working with the people that can help you. I think also it takes effort. Like it's, it's you know, uh, it's one thing to just be targeting the properties that are actively listed. Obviously, we know those sellers are motivated to sell. They have their home listed on the market. But are you engaging in conversations outside of that a very obvious pool of sellers? You know, there are plenty of people that are overwhelmed by the idea of selling. They are overwhelmed by the cost associated with selling, but they're in a situation that is uncomfortable. And in fact, they need to exit. 
how do we get in contact with those people? How does, how does an investor, you know, I've seen many times driving around various towns, you know, we buy homes for cash and the other plays that lots of real estate investors will position as marketing hooks. Certainly not a bad idea. It's engaging in those conversations to actually find people sometimes before they've actually listed their homes for sale. All starts with what's the group of support around you. Mm -hmm. So, and it needs to, you know, I would say many of the investors that reach out to me, but I feel like they're reaching out to dozens of other realtors. I'm not going to give you my time and energy because you aren't giving me your business. Mm -hmm. And so you are jumping all over the place looking for an amazing deal. And we don't have a relationship. We don't have a track record. So it's kind of like if you have great history, if it's a win-win relationship where, you know, the realtor understands that this is a long-term play that, you know, the client's going to appreciate all the digging they will do. Well, then that realtor will do a lot more yes. to find amazing deals. Yes. And it might be deals on the MLS that are not just not that obvious, mm -hmm. right? But if you are a client or, or want to be a client of a realtor, and you're treating them like uh, they're all equal and they're just, you know, a sales agent, yeah. then you're not going to get that agent to do the degree of work that will help you find yeah. motivated sellers. Yeah. Awesome. It's a relationship. With real estate, what I really like is the next point where I feel right is right and wrong often becomes right. And yeah. what I mean by that is, you know, when you, when you do things correctly, you have the right deal, you know, the numbers work out, right is right. And let's say something goes wrong, the, the market prices retract or things break or, you know, relationships break down. If you can weather it long enough, mm -hmm. you know, real estate really is an amazing investment opportunity where very few people hold on to real estate for the long term, five, 10, 15 years and regret yes. having it. Time heals all wounds. Time heals all wounds in real estate, it seems. It's a powerful lesson too around. And I've had conversations which might be counterintuitive, but I've had conversations with, you know, friends and neighbors and potentially I might consider them to be clients at some stage where we're talking about just this point. And, it, you know, at some points I, I say to them directly, it sounds like, you know, it might sound strange coming from a real estate agent, me telling you, if you can hold your property, you should. But actually I take my role as an advisor more seriously than I take my role as a transactional realtor. Transactions are not hard to come by, actually. If you do a great job and you have a good, strong re reputation, you'll continue to get good business. Are you giving people good advice? And, you know, as it relates to investors, time is magic. There is also, I think, some truth in understanding when to pull the plug. Mm -hmm. If you're looking at your pocketbook and you're realizing, actually, I don't want to be contributing to this investment for the rest of my life and the market's stagnating and or retracted, as you said, and, you know, this is actually causing me a, a damage, then, you know, that might be an opportunity to exit. You might be a motivated seller. We might be able to help you find a, a buyer that's interested in taking over your position. But in lots of circumstances, I've given counsel to people to say, if there's any possibility whatsoever that you can hold on, hold on a little bit longer, wait a little bit longer, you need a place to live, you don't necessarily, one of the things I often share with investors that talk about wanting to, you know, reposition is, where's it going next? Mm -hmm. If we're going to sell, that's amazing, great, let's get the ball rolling, but what are we doing with the equity? Is the equity just going to sit in a bank account? Is the equity going to be repositioned? If you don't have a real strong motivation for where the, the equity in your investment property is going to be going. Re are you ready to build your real estate portfolio? It starts with taking the first step. 
Call the Home Happy team for a free review of your financial situation and let us start to build your financing plan. Our team's experience, technology, and lender connections will allow you to build what you may not think is possible. We will look at all the options open to you and mix those with your dreams and goals to build the perfect mortgage strategy for your next step. With the Home Happy team helping you, your future starts now. Consider whether or not it's the right time. Definitely. Like how many people have money in their bank account after, um, you know, having sold something, they felt really proud and pleased. And then years pass and, you know, they don't want to admit it, but had they just stayed the course, their investment would be further And equally, if you reapply it, like I've sold a house before that I could have held and it would have gone up 25% since we sold it. Mm -hmm. But we followed the plan and reinvested those funds into other investments. Had we just left that money in the bank, I'd really be kicking myself. Yes. Right. Exactly. That leads back to the roadmap, right? Like there's a a reason why you're doing these steps. It's it's not a haphazard. You're a great negotiator. You do a lot of deals. Thank you, partner. what What are some of your secrets? Well, I think that for myself, I really focus very heavily on removing judgment from the market and making good decisions for my clients. So when I think about like, you know, the effort involved in putting deals together, one of the things, one of the reasons why I think I have a high success ratio to accepted offer to subject removal is I think I do a very, very good job of pre-qualifying my clients and specifically I'm thinking about buyers at this stage, but certainly I don't think I've had a single instance in my career where I've had a seller not sell their home when we've received offers at or above their price. Mm -hmm. And even if we receive offers, we're negotiating and there are markets where you need to negotiate. I have a great track record of success in that I think I do a good job of helping my client understand the best outcome for them and the most reasonable outcome, whether we accept this offer and or wait, what could potentially occur. Some powerful lessons I think I've learned in that experience is not only making sure that your conversations with your clients are built on a foundation of trust and um, professionalism so that they know that, you know, again, one of the things I say to clients is, I work at your pace. Mm. I'm not interested in a quick closing or a quick deal with you for the sake of putting a number on the board. I want to help you find a great place. And I want to make sure that you are comfortable with the price that you pay. And I want to be comfortable, frankly, with the price that you pay. And if you're overpaying today, I want to make sure that we're doing that with eyes wide open. Because frankly, when you sell this home, I'm, I want to get the phone call to be the listing agent to represent you for that next transaction. And I don't want to be in a situation where I've put you in an unfortunate financial position without your full awareness, because Mm -hmm. we've all been in circumstances where client with eyes open pays maybe more than market would bear or market value at the time. That's one component, I think, of good negotiation. The other component of good negotiation is I genuinely believe I have good relationships with my colleagues. I respect them. I appreciate them. I really try to develop good rapport with them at the onset of a negotiation. So I'm just simply not somebody that enters a negotiation guns ablazing in a combative way. I, I'm a good, strong, fierce negotiator. And I also think that that can be done with respect and with uh, professionalism. Mm-hmm. It's funny that the point that you brought there, both on um, you know doing your due diligence, getting the offer accepted and how you correspond and, and relate with your clients is the concept of the power of many opportunities, the power of plenty, mm-hmm. right? The reason you're not looking for a quick sale is because 
you've built a business where there's constantly sales happening. So whether it takes three weeks, three months, hopefully not three years, you know, you're, you're going to work at the client's pace. Yes. And I think that's comforting, especially with, um, you know, investor clients that might've been thinking about it for a long time. And one of their hesitations is they don't want to be pushed into it. Totally. Oh my gosh. Right. And yet they're that resistance of like, I don't want to be pushed is literally doing the opposite. Mm -hmm. They're, they're like delaying themselves. And I think sometimes one of the things that I know as it relates to giving good, clear guidance and advice for, for investor clients, and I'm having the personal experience with a investment realtor I'm working with right now on the island, Justin Crawford, who's helping me find another awesome investment property on Vancouver Island. And he's, he's so consistent with his approach. He's very consistent with sending me great opportunities. He's very consistent with highlighting why this one, as opposed to the many that might be listed at any given time. And he's offering me his professional guidance. And he also owns and manages investment properties. He studies and and focuses specifically on Vancouver Islands, where he now lives and works. And so he's able to, and he's also very analytical in his approach. And so one of the things I'm enjoying about the experience and that I'm actually learning as a business person and implementing in my own practice is just the power of that consistent drip. Here it is. Here's why I think it could be a neat opportunity. Here's where the market's going. I mean, the, one of the first places I purchased with him, he brought into my attention on three separate occasions. And it was on the third occasion that I was like, okay, I need to look at this. He just consistent and it was never pushy. It was just consistent. You know, we should really look at this. This is a great opportunity. It's, you know, this is the price trend and here's where it sits as it relates to price trends currently. Here's the opportunity in terms of rent roll and return on investment. I mean, it was just a really, really, really interesting experience. It's funny, as you're saying that, there's two things that came to me. One is relationships. So, you know, during that time from you having purchased your first property with him and potentially another one, you've purchased properties elsewhere. Yes. And so if you weren't um, loyal to him and made him feel like, you know, it might take another couple of years, it might take 10 years or it might take 10 months, but I want another property on the island you know, why would he invest all this time to drip to you? Mm -hmm. But you are showing as a client loyalty and commitment and capacity because a lot of people have dreams and aspirations, but they aren't putting the steps in place to actually make it a reality. Then the other point there is the power of many opportunities. So, you know, you're looking at opportunities from Kitimat to Edmonton to, you know, Moncton to all over the place. Mm -hmm. And so a deal doesn't have to happen. Yes. And, but when we are approaching our negotiations and we do a really good job of helping clients, you know, who don't have the numbers or don't want to buy a property in Vancouver yeah. to buy properties that are, you know, cash flow positive across Canada. And there's a way of doing that. And that is, you know, we have established realtors in pretty much every major city that they understand that they're going to constantly send us deals. Mm-hmm. And when we have the right client, we'll connect them with probably, you know, three other areas they're looking at. Yeah. And they're not automatically assuming that that investor is going to um, guaranteed buy a place, mm-hmm. but they understand that if we're running enough clients to them, mm-hmm. it's worth investing the time that they're doing, finding deals and dripping that back to us. And yeah. that is probably the reason, you know, it's a mixture of having strong relationships with realtors across Canada and having enough 
clients that come to us that want to buy in those areas, mm-hmm. that it's a win-win. So it's huge, an investment. Huge. And I think when I think about if, you know, if, if the audience is an investor hearing this podcast and they're thinking about ways that they can effectively communicate to the key partners or the realtor partners, and they might be looking in, in a variety of marketplaces, that's okay. Transparency and honesty are fundamental, right? Mm-hmm. That's I, if I'm working with clients and I recently put a deal together with some buyer clients that told me very directly, I'm looking with you and I'm also looking with another realtor in another region in Tri-Cities. So they were looking with me in Vancouver and they were looking with another realtor in the Tri-Cities. And in fact, the realtor in the Tri-Cities referred them to me to help them find a, a property. Now, if I had had a scarcity mindset, I may have said to those people, I'm not taking you all over Hell's Half Paper. You're probably not even going to buy with me. Mm-hmm. And the truth is that, again, coming from a, a position of not only abundance, but also of wanting to honor and respect the referral that was giving, given to me, I, I cared for those people. I supported them. We did a variety of searches. And in fact, they did find a property and closed on a property with me and also bought a property in the Tri-Cities. But that also came to relationships, right? Like Very if much. that referral hadn't come from the person and they came from and those people just called you out of the blue yes. and didn't you know make you feel comfortable that they have the capacity to buy in different areas that they have the loyalty and the interest you're not going to invest your time yes. because your time is valuable but yes. you know that person who referred those clients to you the relationship that you guys established mm-hmm. allowed them to hand their clients to you and everyone won. And the idea of uh, being in good rapport and good relationship, I think that's one of the reasons why. So as a, as an investor, you might be, you know, you might be going to different marketplaces, meeting different partners, meeting different agents. If you have an awesome exchange with an agent, even if you never end up buying in that region, you might be somebody that is a referrer. You might be somebody that shares a name. If you're part of an investment group or you're having investment conversations, it's you know not uncommon if you're actively involved, if you have an investment mindset, you might be somebody that says, you know what, actually, I have a great agent in, in Regina. No, I didn't end up buying there. However, she was amazing. She sent me tons of information. She really knows her stuff. Here's her contact information. And for for those of us as service providers, for me, that's always something I think about when I have a client in my world. You may not necessarily purchase with me. I certainly hope so. I, I hope I've done enough pre-qualification that we're going to actually do some business together at whatever stage that is. But at the very least, I'm hoping that I give you such an outstanding experience that you share my name with somebody. And a referral is an amazing gift to receive. And so as an investor, really remembering the importance of maintaining those relationships, having integrity with those relationships, I think is a critical piece to, you know, your big picture Mm -hmm. and your whole roadmap is really thinking about who those key partners are in your roadmap for success. Definitely. And like the, the next point there of those partners in your umbrella who you need to do the transaction is understanding what their roles are and what their responsibilities are. And what is your role and responsibility? Yes. Because, um, you know, often when it comes down to closing on a property, if things aren't planned out, if you as a client haven't, you know, if you're not working with the right professionals, that's going to cause problems. If you haven't communicated to them or if you haven't done, you know, followed up and made sure that everyone is doing what they need to, Mm -hmm. problems happen that didn't need to happen. Yep. You know, I've I've spoken with clients, even though I reminded them that um, never transferred, you know, 
the gas, the electricity in another province and totally forgot about it because it was in their primary. Yes. And got a phone call when yeah, Fourplex has no power anymore. <laughs> oh, man. Right? And the clients want that solved now. Yeah. And depending when it happens, it yeah. can take anything from hours to days. Yes. Everyone has a responsibility and a role and, and we got to make sure that we're measuring that. Talk to me about your point here of measure, rinse, repeat. Yeah. So, I mean, every single property I purchased, I've learned something from. And probably, you know, the eighth property I purchased, I was a better property than the second property. I did a better deal. I found what worked for me more. And part of that comes from I'm constantly measuring the results and then committing to doing it again and mm -hmm. trying to do it better. Mm -hmm. It's the difference between I'd say a professor and maybe an, you know, someone that's applying it is I'm not looking for perfection right from the start mm -hmm. and I don't need to know everything, but I need to know enough mm -hmm. and be committed to analyzing it when it's all over mm -hmm. and then figure out, you know, measure what was good and, and what we need to improve on and mm -hmm. then repeat it. Yes. And get better. Well, you know, the, the truth is that success is often not a straight line, not a straight road, as you've written. And it's so completely true that it's uh, it's certainly winding. And I, I think that that is part of the beauty of the yeah. process is there's peaks and valleys and challenges and opportunities. Yeah. And uh, just like I, I was saying earlier, when you look at somebody and you see the facade of success where we often don't pay close attention is, you know, and I say also, and I will also acknowledge that there's, you know, a variety of ways in which people come at opportunities with an immense amount of privilege and things that aren't, weren't necessarily worked for. But for those of us that have achieved great success, there have often been immense failures in the, along the way. Stay the course, mm -hmm. you know, really, really continue to look at your roadmap and your roadmap is not a static document, just like a business plan is not a static document. It's something to continue to look at, analyze, refine, and retool on your path to successful investment real estate. Thank you, Connie. Thank you, Roland. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Always a great pleasure. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you. Bye-bye.